Hi, Rob Shank here, host of Shank Talks Bunhofer, a podcast all about the life, times, and interests of the namesake for this podcast sponsor, the Dietrich Bunhofer Institute. Today, we continue our examination of Christian nationalism and the politicization of white American evangelicalism. I have no doubt Dietrich would have been very interested in the couple I will talk with during this episode. I think you'll find the conversation as riveting as I did. I certainly learned a lot from it. I think you likely will too. This is the story of a professional couple in the theater world that took that talent and skill into the church world as evangelicals, where they served as ministers in the creative arts with a prominent megachurch, one I have known well over my years in the evangelical world. But this couple's eminent career and celebrated achievements came to a sudden halt when they were asked by their church leadership to essentially profess a loyalty oath to Trumpian religious politics, and they refused to do so. That ended their professional and personal association with a church they had served for over two decades. I think you'll find this story both fascinating and quite disturbing, but in the end, inspiring, if for nothing else, this couple's moral courage and prophetic witness. Now, let me explain. We have seriously edited this long and complicated conversation for two reasons. First, to protect this couple's anonymity for the sake of their well-being, and second, for the sake of time. So you will hear a few choppy portions where we just couldn't iron out the edits perfectly. Thank you for your patience with that. Here we go to my conversation with a remarkably courageous and selfless couple who did the right thing when many in their position would not have. You'll hear him, the husband, speak first, then his wife. And I had had experience performing um, not only with like this group that performed the Veteran Hospital, but doing professional theater and performing at theme parks and so forth. And I made a lot of con made a lot of connections with artists who were not Christians, and um, you know heard their stories. And a lot of them had come had been hurt by the church, um, specifically people who were of the LGBTQ plus community had been you know some had been subject to conversion therapy and. Um, you know, devalued because of their gender identity and, and so forth. And, you know, in my evangelical bubble, I never heard about these people. And all mm. of a sudden I was meeting them and being friends with them and going, wow, their story's not really represented. And it felt like God was giving me kind of like a vision to go, how could the arts bridge with the church? Is there a possibility that these two things could complement each other and we could build a dialogue in a in a relationship with people who are who have really been hurt by the church, um, but love the arts and vice versa. So that was kind of our our mission. And then um, in about 2000, we were invited to come on staff at a a large mega church and built a over the years built a really unique 
theater program uh, in drama. It had musicals and I wrote a lot of original material. Some of them were what's called illustrated sermons where we would present kind of an original one act play and then the pastor would come up and follow up with uh, kind of a, a very pointed spiritual direction and always an altar call where people could respond to that. For those not familiar with what an altar call is, it's kind of like a Billy Graham crusade where at the end, he would invite people to come down to kind of like the front of the stage um, and say the sinner's prayer and make a declaration that they are, they're going to follow Jesus and, and that they've had kind of a born again experience for that. And the church grew, you know, it was, it was one of the largest churches in the country. And um, so we were, you know, kind of a part of a lot of that growth. We built a, a big theater program and... Um, and, and let's give wanna... folks an idea of the scale of this because you know, when you talk about the typical church in America, it's maybe 65 to 120 people on a Sunday morning, right. mostly uh, led by volunteers um, who wouldn't hesitate to describe themselves as amateurs. You know, I mean, these are just people who do this uh, avocationally. But for you, this is a professional post right. in a very large organization. Yeah. With staff support, uh, budget, uh, <laughs> yep. professional venue, uh, with uh, technologies that are cutting edge. Give us a, a, a picture. What we does it look like? had all kinds of, like you said, technological bells and whistles, LED screens and hundreds of moving lights and, um, you know, live orchestras for our musicals and um, the the. Christmas musical, which was uh, probably the the most well known throughout the month of December each year, um, I would write and produce um, that for many years. Um, we had about three hundred people in the cast, and then about another five hundred people working behind the scenes on costumes, hair and makeup, the tech teams, the um, ushers, and ticket people and things like that. It was a massive operation. And a great way to for people to bring their families. A lot of non-churched people would come. Yeah. You know, the first half of the program was more or less kind of like a Rockettes Christmas celebration of all things winter and holiday. And then the second half of the program was the nativity. More of the nativity story, and, yeah. You know, wow. And with an altar call given at the end by the pastors. Yeah. Um, so it really reached a lot of people in the community. You're doing really productive work. It's successful. Uh, people are having wonderful, positive experiences, including yourselves yeah. in all of this. But, but does a change the, come yeah, in the, the wind at some point? Mm -hmm. About eight years ago, there was a leadership change. So the senior pastor um, had kind of diminished his role and turned over the reins to his son uh, to take the lead role. And this is where things started to kind of shift a bit. There were other, other things that I started noticing, even though it was a large church and just doing incredible work for the community. Um, I started noticing things like um, there weren't many people of color in leadership. There weren't many women speaking on the platform. Zero. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I, w I wonder why, why that is. And I just never really, I hate to say it, but I never really examined those things because this is where Mark worked. This is where we were attending church. And I, I didn't really feel like I had any resources to 
And help, you didn't want to rock help the boat. Me. I, didn't want yeah. to, I didn't want to rock the boat. And we said, well, we need to be mature. You know, maybe this, the service is maybe a little seeker sensitive, maybe geared towards people who aren't coming from a faith background. Um, maybe certain things aren't our preference, but yet we're here because we love Christ yeah. and we're serving. And that's what we focused on. And that, that always helped carry me through. But there was this underlying current that there were some things that just didn't seem right. Um, and I'll just couple along as I was working at a Christian school. I had not been raised in Christian school, but as an adult found myself teaching there. And I started seeing similar things, um, similar language being spoken about. I started hearing a lot of uh, political talk about how we should be voting and and i actually left the christian school a high school and a college i was teaching at during mm. these years since 2014 because of these strong political overtones that were coming through and again i didn't have a lot of resource to help me yeah. sort it out at the and, schools they were they were incorporating we didn't know much about it at the time but this philosophy called the seven mountain mandate which is kind of a christian dominionism mm -hmm. approach that every influential aspect of life in our culture should be um should be favorable to christians and christians should dominate in those spheres and that that made us uncomfortable we we're like well, that doesn't seem right <laughs> um so but it was definitely a part of the christian education movement Yes. You know, that we saw. And then I would have to say when the um, <clears throat> gay marriage was passed, you know, acceptance of all that and coming on, th those things were really close to my heart as I was really wanting to see inclusiveness. Yeah. And I was seeing more and more division and more and more separation with the church's look on this. And I knew something in my heart just wasn't uh, on track with it. And I actually felt, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe i'm really off track here and i'm missing the lord um but i knew i just knew in my heart that there was more to this story than i was hearing at the church and were you voicing those concerns to mark yes yeah to me and, and I was mark, voicing how, it to mark. how were you how are you reacting mm -hmm. to well it was things? interesting because we we kind of within this large organization that we were under the big church was an umbrella it was doing amazing work like we said in the community some incredible um, outreaches that are really tremendous and they're still doing them today which we're we support um, and we were able to kind of create a little bit of a subculture in there where we were creating an inclusive environment for people from the lgbtq community a lot of people of color who were involved in our theater program and we weren't making any conditions about their participation we weren't saying you have to renounce your you know gender identity or sexuality to be a part of this and it was really a beautiful situation because church people who were maybe resistant to you know hanging out with people who were gay we're actually now in the same rehearsal room with people and making friendships and finding commonality and it was like yeah this is that vision i had about bridging the church and the arts community it was really a beautiful thing and many um, were coming to church services yeah, and a lot you of know, checking things out that were available um many of the programs at the church yeah um but there was never a requirement for them to do those things but we really saw our job 
as kind of introducing and being a bridge. Yeah. Um, maybe not the people that actually, quote unquote, seal the deal. Um, we, we weren't interested in telling people they had to change in order to yeah. be a part of the church. They, we but said, does you're, that you're change at some point? Do things become more severe, more demanding, more exclusive, if you will? Yeah. So in about 2016, the, the lead pastor at that point started to kind of include some messaging in some of his sermons and some of his staff meetings um, that at the time it kind of was a red flag to me. It was about actually stepping into the political arena and changing policy towards a, a, a Christian nationalistic um, uh, doctrine and, and worldview with that. Again, we were politically aware, but we weren't really politically active. So we weren't sure of all this kind of terminology, but uh, I'll move along to kind of what happened this past year. Um, in June of uh, 2020, um, an, an email went out to the staff that um, they were going to be hosting along with another organization, I'll name their name, um, called Turning Point USA, which is kind of a political activist um, organization that really targets young people, college, um, campuses. college campuses, with a very strong conservative uh, message. Um, and, and unapologetically so. I mean, uh, I, yes. I, I've and, heard the spokesperson and, the, and others uh, yeah. refer to it as a conservative, politically yeah. uh, and socially conservative organization. So we found out that the church is going to partner with Turning Point USA and, and allow them to hold a political rally in our auditorium. Um, the church was regularly hosting outside events like graduations and, you know, kind of things like that. So this wasn't unusual that the church was going to hold a third party event. But then we found out that Turning Point USA, it, it's it's definitely a political rally that's happening for young people and they're going to have a guest that's going to be appearing which happened to be um the president of the united states at the time this is at a time in june of last let's, year let's go ahead and name him donald trump yeah, unforgettable donald trump, president yes. of the united states <laughs> so the at the time just to kind of let people remember back what was happening in june of last year um, the the murder of George Floyd had happened. There's a big outpouring of Black Lives Matter protests in s cities across the country and across the world. A lot of uh, racial tension happening, and there's a lot of you know political things happening around the COVID issue. And then uh, this is a couple of days after President Trump. Um, famously went and stood in front of the St. John Church in uh, in Washington. And there were, um, you know, he had that photo op in front of the church with his Bible. And there's a lot of things there to unpack that I won't right now. So this is a kind of a volatile time. And so when I, when we hear this, we write an email and have very and have several conversations with the lead pastor and express our concerns that this is not a good idea um and for various reasons that we just mentioned the other reason that i really was most concerned about is that the members of our congregation which is a huge congregation and has multiple cam satellite campuses a lot of them 
would have felt alienated like we did, um, that it was assumed that we were all in support of this because the leadership of the church is making this decision. And now every it was assumed everybody's on board with this. Of course, we're getting text messages and emails from our friends in town as this becomes public that, that President Trump is going to be at the church. Um, and they're going, what what is happening here? Are, are you kidding me? The president's going to be at your church. Are you guys in support of this? So now we're in a quandary. We're like, oh, great. You know, everybody's thinking that we're supporting this. And so we we decided to put out. Go ahead. Did you well, want to add some? Yeah, I No, That's OK. And no. so we decided very carefully, a carefully worded Facebook post that to our friends and people who were friends on Facebook and said there we we have worked and attended this church for 20 plus years and there is an event happening that um we just wanted to personally state that we are not in support of this event happening in our church and we just wanted to let you know thank you and so no we actually said we're not in support of the organization, organization that is hosting the event at the church which was the turning point USA. yes we were referring to turning point USA. didn't say anything disparaging or negative about the church or anything like that um and we got a lot of positive feedback from people who are like, thank you. Thank you for clarifying your stance on that. And the church's um, stance. Some people still weren't clear. Was the church bringing the president in or was there another organization? You know, the, the waters were a little murky as far as that was getting out yeah, to the public. Yeah. So a lot of people were thinking, this is a church. Can a church even do that? You know, that right. was a question we had over, you know, over the years of being there. There were many political candidates who often stopped by during campaign season, but they never spoke at the church, <clears throat> but there was never a political rally. And yeah. this is exactly what it was. It was a political organization holding a political rally. And I had concern just about the, the legalities of that as, right. as well as the optics. Um, and were we going to be expected to be a part of this rally because yeah. Mark is on staff? We had a lot of questions um, that were formulating yeah. in us. And, and so, not, not to distract, but Mark, you mentioned um, the COVID flare-up uh, yeah. that was occurring at the time, and there was that even factored in here. The, the, <laughs> there was a whole thing about the safety yes. of the event okay. in terms yeah. of uh, COVID transmission. Yeah, there were a lot. I mean, it was the local news and the local backlash was was pretty strong in a negative way, and the. Uh, pastor and the CFO um, at the a couple of days before the Trump rally was to take place had had posted a social media um, short video making a claim that the church had actually installed an air filtration system that kills 99% of COVID and that so that anybody who's going to be coming to our auditorium can be you know, safe in knowing that no COVID's going to not exist in our auditorium. Well, this was completely inaccurate and it went viral. And it was really, it was really an unfortunate um, public relations fumble uh, on the part of the church um, because it was not factual. The attorney general issued a cease and desist uh, order because of the false claims. Um, eventually, they took down the video and th they didn't quite come clean about um, 
about the re taking responsibility for it. But so that was an added kind of you know I'll, I'll give you just a little backstory uh, <laughs> yeah. on that as that was breaking. Of course, I didn't know the two of you at the time. Uh, but when that story was breaking, I immediately called my sister, who's an engineer, and she designs air handling and filtration systems oh, really? for large uh, buildings, for, uh, you know, the kind of building you were in there. Yeah. And she immediately told me, she said, that's impossible. Uh, yeah. th that's not possible. And she explained all the reasons why. <laughs> so I saw yeah. it as... You know, at once it was humorous, and at the same time, it was recklessly dangerous yeah. to lead people to believe that they would be safe, yeah. entirely safe in that environment. It yeah. seemed terribly reckless to me. Let's just back up yeah. one one more quick incident before um, the rally actually took place on June 23rd. It was a few days before that, that in a staff meeting, um, the the leadership, it was all by Zoom because we were kind of working from home at that point. And um, he, he started to go into some very strong talking points and messaging that is consistent with Turning Point USA. Um, and saying, you know, this is this is really the mission of what our church is now, and we are going to fight the the liberal mob and the leftist agenda that is, um, you know, forcing us to kind of um, abandon our Christian principles. And you know, it was a lot of fear-based kind of messaging with that. At the end of the, um, at the end of his. Uh, talk about that on the staff meeting, he said, so I am going to be fighting these things. And if you are not willing to fight them with me and you receive a paycheck from this church, then I am asking for your resignation. And that was quite a, a shocking ultimatum to us to hear it so bluntly. And again, we had never heard this kind of terminology and messaging happening. Uh, but in the context of hosting the Trump rally, this air filtration thing, everything seemed to be shifting uh, in, in that. So we were really in a conundrum that we were like, oh my gosh, we, we, don't, we don't align with these, all of these things that he's asking us to. So what are we going to do? <laughs> um, and about that time we were asked to go on a leave of absence because of this Facebook post we put out that they, they were not happy that we didn't come to the support of the lead pastor. And um, anyway, so the, the Trump rally happened on that particular day. There were protests outside of the church property. There was a lot of national One of media our coverage. Our children was protesting. <laughs> yeah, our so, oldest son who, yeah. who we fully supported um and we had walked together in several black lives matter protests he was like this is this is not right and i'm going to go and join the protest yeah so the whole thing happens and it's it, it, is. it is surreal to watch it happening unfold um with that um the the lead pastor had said you know he wasn't going to be at the the event but he ended up starting it with kind of an invocation and prayer which was was disappointing to us because he 
he had said that he wasn't going to be there, but then he was. So, and let's um, let's just say it, it. That's a more than a tacit endorsement. It, it's yes. really the way a pastor fully embraces an event such as that. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, Our world was shifting yeah, rapidly. Yeah, it happened. This all happened in about ten days' time, from the time we heard the rally was happening, to um, the ultimatum. The ultimatum that was given, and then the botched um, social media post, and then the rally, and so much was shifting quickly and we were trying to get our bearings like who are these people that we've been working with like in 20 years we've never been asked point blank to align with any kind of political agenda and, and, and this was tantamount to a loyalty oath of some type in other words yeah. you must pledge yourself to full support of their political and social agenda right mm -hmm. yeah. and and the implications of that on the religious beliefs uh, <laughs> yeah. of the uh, of the leadership and yeah. it was you don't deliver on that yeah. you don't give them what they're no. requiring was, of you right it was clear that they were wanting to fortify their uh the staff to be completely in line on the same page and basically to purge and silence anybody who was not on the same page. So this loyalty um, uh, oath was was key in that. And and you're right. We well, we took a leave of absence. We won't go into all the all of that deal. But during that leave of absence was a ray of hope for us because Rachel came across a video of you on PBS News or something. Yes, I stumbled across a video of you speaking about, um, I think, what had happened with Donald Trump holding the Bible in, in front of the church. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, here, here's a pastor, someone that's speaking differently, not, not in support of this administration, not in support of all these things we're hearing. Um, this is great. You know, so I just started looking for more videos and hearing about your stance um, on gun rights, about the abortion issue, about loving people, about being centered on Christ and less on this divisiveness. And something was just leaping up inside of me saying, yeah. there's someone out there who who thinks differently <laughs> and they still love the Lord and 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 they're thriving. So we were uh, we ordered your book costly grace and couldn't wait Devoured for it to it. arrive yeah. and you literally became a lifeline to us because at the time that we were going through this it it was during covid we weren't having contact with people we dared not speak about this to anybody because we didn't know what was happening people didn't know what was happening to us so they weren't reaching out and we felt very isolated as we were trying to sort through this and thankfully um our connection yeah. to you was very real and just started to set us on another path, kind of confirming that there is another path and you're gonna be okay. Yeah. Um, you're not evil people. You you are still in the family of God and there's another way to look at things. One of the other books that we read during that time was uh, called the, the Spiritual Dangers of Donald Trump. And it was a collection of essays by different prominent authors and thinkers about the, the dangers of this political movement. And one thing stuck out in there, let me let me uh, look at this real quick. Um, 
in the book, uh, Stephen Haynes, I believe it was, summons Dietrich Bonhoeffer's teachings and implores people to get off the Trump train. He quotes, if you board the wrong train, it's no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. And although we were trying to make a positive, inclusive changes from within the church, it became a stark realization that the leadership was on the Trump train and it was time for us to jump. So we, um, we resigned on July 3rd of 2020. And, um, that was kind of a big day for us to, to kind of summon some moral courage in that, that decision. We lost our, um, our, our career, my full-time work and benefits, our church family that we had been a part of for 20 years, our arts program that we had built for numerous years there. And all of it was, was, uh, kind of cut away in in one fell swoop. So it was, it was a, a pretty drastic, uh, shift for us financially, emotionally, spiritually. It was, it was a very, um, kind of surreal and difficult time, but. And, and it I, remains so. And, and I want to pause there for a second. You know, I'll, uh, let me say, I mean, uh, I'm very humbled by what you've just said. I, I guess you had said that in some of our early conversations uh, on Zoom and the phone and, and all that. Uh, and it, it's, it's, uh, immodest for me to even re recall those so i tend to you know put, <laughs> put them in a in a mental cabinet somewhere uh but i i i'm very grateful uh to god that my story could be of help to you during that time mm -hmm. yeah. at the same time i've got to say uh gee you know uh, I guess you could bless or blame me because yeah. the price was very, very high for you to act on your conscience, to make a very Bonhoeffrian move, hmm. uh, and uh, without any parachute. I think some hmm. people might imagine that someone who has spent 20 years uh, working in a mega church environment might have some kind of a golden parachute that you have a uh, severance package that takes care of you or that you were able to sock away uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars or that some patron came along and said, well, I'll rescue you. But none of that applies in your story. You were simply out of a job. Yeah. Uh, One and of the that, I would call yeah. you of a noble age. But, you know, you're not a young, neither of you are young kids. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, and, and I think people who aren't formed in the environments that we were uh, may not realize how much your, the totality of your life is in the church. All yeah. of, not just your personal friendships, hmm. but your professional associations mm -hmm. and network and because you're uniquely uh trained for that in other words y your your credentials do not easily translate into a different professional metier you're mm -hmm. kind of stuck yeah. uh, <laughs> so in the aftermath of your departure your unceremonious departure 
from this church you served so well and for so long. Where did you find yourselves? Did you want to insert? Well, something? it was, um, it was, it felt kind of exhilarating at first, you know, <laughs> to make the decision because it was, it was very clear to us that we could not stay and it violated our conscience. And I would just like to go back to say over the years leading up to this many times, Mark and I would have these discussions and, and I was a little further down this path as far as setting myself apart from the church because I knew I just was kind of like a square peg in a round hole. I wasn't fitting. And so I had kind of made some separations. Mm -hmm. And Mark always said, you know, I'll, I'll stay here as long as it doesn't violate my conscience. And we had this conversation many times, and we've taught our kids that too. You know, there's no perfect situation in any job or, you know, that kind of thing. There's always going to be pluses and minuses. But if you're ever feeling like you're having to compromise yourself to the point that it violates your conscience, it's time to leave. And um, our conscience was violated pretty strongly. It, it didn't take a lot of uh, second guessing at that point. Um, you know, and then it, after the initial we're so glad we did it and our, our children who are grown were very proud of us and really there for as our support system they were fantastic yeah, and encouraging us and at the same time they i think they were trying to understand what this meant to us you know that they yeah. they're young they haven't had all of the experiences that we have but they saw it on us they saw their father who had given his life's work you know in time to the church sorry i'm getting a little emotional um that was huge for them to see their father take a stand and um that feels really good and we feel unified we are together we are in agreement about this decision mm -hmm. and so we can't imagine how that would have been if the family was at odds over the decision yeah. because it's not easy and i realize that some people may not feel that they have the opportunity to leave because most church workers, like in our situation, there is no COBRA, there is no unemployment. I, I want to kind of get to the heart of this thing. You were offered a severance package and you declined that because you wanted to speak yeah. at least honestly. Yeah, um, we wanted to feel the freedom to even speak to our friends about it. We did want to feel the freedom to be able to put our head on the pillow at night and we've got a clear conscience. As a, as a theater person, um, Arthur Miller wrote a famous play about um, a reaction to the 1950s um, kind of uh, witch hunt that was going on with the House of Un-American Activities when he wrote The Crucible. And at the end of the play, um, the main character, John Proctor, is asked to sign something that basically violates his conscience. And I kind of had my John Proctor moment there and of saying, I, I cannot sign this, you know, and still maintain my, uh, my conscience with it. So um, that, was, that was kind of a, an image that I was thinking of. So we didn't sign and we, we feel now free to be able to tell our story. And again, I thank you for saying that because we, we don't wish any ill will. We wish blessing on the church where we worked and the work that they're doing. But they have 
in the past and now continue to have a very, very concerning alliance with uh, Christian nationalism, a political activity, and um, and it's it's only ramping up. Um, they've introduced some new alliances uh, and are pretty unapologetic about where they're going and the and the culture battles that they're going to fight. We just couldn't be a part of that. So, well, I thank you both for sharing what is really a harrowing story of moral courage. And I thank you both for your willingness to pay the price hmm. for that. Uh, I know that has not been easy. Uh, I know it has exacted uh, a very, very high price from each of you personally. I know you remain in a position of financial uncertainty, professional uncertainty. Uh, mm -hmm. I can imagine that in the world you served so well in for so long, uh, what you did is not uh, a way to secure your next position at the next mega church, and you <laughs> likely wouldn't want to be there given the condition of things. So. Right. My heart is with you. Uh, Thank you. You know, I, I certainly plan to be uh, of whatever kind of support I can be. I think mostly it's moral support and spiritual support at this point. But I hope that our friends who are listening to this podcast uh, share my concern for you. Thank you. Uh, for for both of you, for uh, your sons. Uh, mm. And we have a lot of work to do together. I'm so grateful to God and again to the two of you for reaching out to us here. I think, you know, one thing about Bunhofer, our namesake, is always our reference point here. And for Bunhofer, he had such a great love and passion for the church for the German Protestant Church, the Evangelische Kirche that he served in as a minister, and for the wider uh, German populace. Uh, he was he was a, a patriot. He was a German's German. Uh, he loved his culture and his people, but he said he had to love them enough to pray for their defeat at war mm. for their own benefit. And there's a certain agony in that. And mm. I know you care so deeply about the church, about its leadership, about the people we call our brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, as we often reference it. Sure. And I really hope and pray that we can all be an encouragement and of practical assistance to you so that you can use your talents and your gifts and the <laughs> craft uh, that you perfected uh, in performance art uh, in this next season to communicate yeah. a new and, and salutary message to the church and to the wider world. So if I could many, say just yes, two quick please. little um, kind of culminating thoughts I had. One is to the people who are part of maybe a church organization that is bending this way towards um, 
political activism, especially in relation to kind of the Christian nationalism movement, um, you know, to hopefully our story can be a little bit of encouragement for you to take that next step of either raising your voice um, to speak to leadership, speaking truth to power, um, or finding the courage to actually have to leave that. Maybe you're on staff, maybe you are a pastor of a church like that, that you're going, this tension inside of me is building and I need to, I need to come to some kind of resolution about it, which may need to, I need to walk away from my career in order to maintain my conscience and sanity. Um, we've been there and we know the agony of that, but it also uh, is the right thing to do. And so maybe there's people who are listening to this that feel that tension going on. And my second charge is to artists out there. I'm an artist. I don't know of a lot of theater artists who are in the evangelical movement. Um, there's obviously a lot of worship musicians and things like that, but the artists who need to offer a different way of looking at the world and looking at the human story and offering ways of building bridges instead of demonizing people that they don't understand. Um, and I'm, I'm calling those artists to, and I'm talking to myself here too, you know, to come forth and to write and to produce artistic material that will make people empathize with a world that they may not understand out there. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I would just like to add that I think it's so important for us to examine things when we feel that nudge in our spirit that maybe something isn't right. Hmm. Um, sometimes when we hear it coming from our pastors and hear it, see it coming from the platform, it can be packaged very slick. And especially when we're talking about, you know, wanting to build a better place for our children and protect our children, we can we can kind of get a little bit swayed with fear tactics about um, what's going to happen to our country and our politics if we don't go this certain way. But I just I just hope that that small voice that may be inside of us hmm. can examine these things um, before we jump on board and we realize that we're we're going with the train and we didn't even realize it. <laughs> and that's that's one of the things that concerns me. That's why I feel like we want to speak out because for years I didn't really examine things that were bothering me, were not sitting well with me. And then all of a sudden we were hit with this, you know, head on. And I think there is the potential for this to continue to grow within churches, evangelical churches. And like I said, it looks on the outside, it can look real slick. It can look real family oriented and very, you know, let's let's come together as a as a society and let's have our politics and our civics and our faith all united. And the lines can get blurred and sometimes be it can get blurred to the point that we're too far in it and we don't realize that we've been divisive and marginalizing others and losing sight of what Christ calls us to love each other, to serve each other, to feed the hungry, to, to um, extend our hands to the immigrants, to, you know, to be the loving Christ that is open and not divisive. And um, I'm just hoping that we can see that and kind of have a, a renewed vision of what our faith is and reject and step away from some of these more um, militant stances that are going on in churches.
Rob Shank back with you to thank the two precious souls with whom I just spent the last 40 minutes or so, and their adult children who support them utterly and lovingly. They have all indeed paid a very steep price for acting on their convictions, obeying the will of God as they understand it, and speaking truth to those in power over them. I hope you'll pray for them and wish them every good thing. They've lost friends, a long-term livelihood, arguably access to a profession they've invested their lives in. But as you can tell, they don't regret any of it. As we leave our guest's story, I leave you with these words of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me.